0: Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan.
1: Drop goal from Larkham.
0: Up it
2: goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to beard De Beer. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus podcast of the Green and Gold Rugby Show, the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Nick Wasiliev and I'm usually producing behind the scenes of the Green and Gold Rugby Show while the lads take centre stage, but I'm on the mic for this special podcast this week, special extra podcast, which uh, will be released alongside our main podcast. So obviously it's uh, it's. (laughs) No secret that it's been a pretty hectic year in rugby, especially Super Rugby. That's a bit of a bit of an understatement. And obviously, until a few weeks back, the ARU had been kind of pretty quiet on many of the of the matters. Often, you know, the Reg and Hugh and Matt often, you know, they always talk about it on our regular podcasts, as well as obviously, you know, regular our listeners and regular rugby punters who comment on our website, debate the ARU's decisions as the governing body, and we don't often hear anything kind of straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, on these issues. So about a week ago, we were approached by uh, a bloke called Will Reid, who uh, wanted to share an interview that he had done with uh, with CEO Bill Pulver while he was working on a documentary for the Feed, which is a program on on SBS. So while of a lot while uh, a lot of this kind of interview uh, wasn't used for the documentary, there were a lot of very interesting uh, insights and perspectives on the Wallabies, Super Rugby, and uh, club rugby that Pulver talked about. Uh, enough that we thought that our regular listeners would be interested to hear about it, and so that's why we've ha- included this extra podcast this week. And Will is joining us to uh, to share this interview with us and have uh, and, ha- and to have a chat about it. Will, good day, mate.
1: Good Nick. How are you going, mate?
2: Very good, mate. Yeah. So before we kind of get into these uh, interviews and snippets that you've uh, that you provide to us, I'm really Fascinated by how you managed to uh, to get an interview uh, with Pulver. So, so what exactly were you kind of working on at, at SBS?
1: Well, I, I work on a show called The Feed um, on SBS Viceland, and typically, um, sports stories aren't really our uh, bread and butter. Um, I don't know if my, most people know, but SBS roughly stands for Sex Before Soccer. So, I had to um, <laughs> to do a story on. Yeah, I mean, I had to give the non-rugby community a, a reason to really care about rugby. So so I broke it down simply. Um, and the question that I asked from the outset was, uh, has professionalism damaged rugby in Australia? Um, and because Super Rugby is this, a, a magnificent beast that kind of um, accompanied professionalism um, and meant it's taken focus and funding from the, the game. Um, so I set out to, to ask that question and do it in a way that, that made the general public care about rugby, even though they might not be actively participating in, in the rugby community.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you actually, uh, so obviously kind of that was the basis for, for the documentary that you did on, on, on Viceland. Um, how mm. did you end up managing to, to, uh, cause obviously this, when you were doing this documentary, this was, um, Quite, quite soon after the for, um, the announcement that the Western Force were being cut from the competition, um, mm. so, so about, around about like a, two weeks ago, just before the Bledisloe matches, and obviously quite a bit's changed. Then Australia's like slipped down in the in the rankings from fourth <laughs> to fifth, and obviously we we had those those two Bledisloe matches. So I'm actually kind of curious. Yeah. Did the A R U approach you, or did you did you go to them, or
1: no, no. Well, I mean, it, it all started. Um, I started doing this um, documentary before the first cut, before the first letters low. Um, it was in it was in the lead up because I, I kind of wanted to get answers as a as a rugby fan. Um, and then, I mean, when you make these documentaries and you and you're calling out some parts of the game, you have to give them the, the right of reply. So I sent an email. You and said this is, this is the story that I'm doing, um, and that some circles were questioning the, the relevance of Super Rugby and the impact that it had, had on the game. Um, and normally you'd re- receive a written statement back from them, but I, I got a phone call um, and and a phone call saying that that they wanted to do an interview, and it wasn't really what I expected, but I'm um, I'm bloody glad uh, they they rang me back and, and said that because it was a pretty interesting interview.
2: Mm. Well yeah let's um I I absolutely agree with you and I think yeah let's just uh, let's get into it. So kind of uh the first section that we that you've provided to us obviously you kind of were fo- obviously focused a lot on on kind of originally grassroots and this obviously led to a discussion about financial strains on the game and uh and super rugby, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah that, that's exactly right. That's the first um just, just I wanted to ask Bill now we in this position because of because, because of a series of you know years where we haven't been doing it right um, is has professionalism impacted the game the roots of the game and so that's that's um, yeah well I, I think he didn't shy away from the fact to his credit that, yeah that possibly it had
2: mm. all right well uh, yeah we'll just so uh, we'll play this uh, section for you now and uh, and we'll hear what the what else have to say about. It.
1: Because we're in this position, have we have we had it wrong for a few years? Is there, can we admit that? You know, we'll in this state.
0: you know, look, historically, we've always struggled to get the right balance between the professional game and the community game. And the thing that has evolved most has been super rugby, right? Super rugby started out as a 12-team competition back in 1996. Um, Australia had three teams, then we evolved to four, and then we evolved to five, and that has essentially meant more investment at that super rugby level of the game. And that has not entirely been a profitable investment. You know, the Wallabies, at the most senior level, that is a very profitable entity for the game. So super Rugby soaked up more of the funding and to some extent has had a negative effect on the community game, and that's the balance we need to find again.
1: Mm, mm. I mean, do do you think uh, we have handled professionalism well in this country?
0: Looks a good question. Um, if you look at the fact that Australia is ranked number four at the Wallaby level, right, in a game that is truly international, and yet Australia competes ferociously in a rugby sense with AFL, Rugby League and soccer, no other country around the world has that level of competition with a sport. So we're number 14 in the world. That's actually punching way above our weight class. If you think last year, our women's sevens team won a gold medal Um, So, look, at the elite level, we actually do it really well if you look at it in the context of the competitive nature of Australian winter sport. Um, Have we done super rugby particularly well? I would say possibly not. We've won three titles since super rugby started in 1996, um, and I think that's probably underperforming. New Zealand clearly have overperformed, but that's the balance we're trying to find right now. It's, It's certainly my view that from a player depth perspective, we will perform better with four teams than we did with five.
1: I mean, was has Super Rugby been, been the problem? Is that why we're in this situation that we're in now?
0: Super Rugby is the single biggest financial challenge of the game, right? At the Wallaby level and the, the, the national, international level, um, it's a very profitable part of the game. Uh, Super Rugby, on the one hand, I would tell you, is the best rugby played anywhere in the world. It's the best provincial competition in the world. You can watch one of our Super Rugby teams play a South African team or a New Zealand team and it is truly extraordinary rugby. Um, it, on the other hand, is a complex competition to run. You're, you're playing teams um, spanning multiple time zones, five different countries, um, with with an 18 teams. Uh, it's quite a complex competition to follow. It's not You don't have the luxury of playing home and away week in, week out. Um, so it's a difficult, expensive competition to run. It does happen to be the best rugby in a provincial sense in the world, but it's expensive to run.
1: A lot of people would be hard-pressed to tell you where the Stormers are from, where, they, yeah, where the yeah. Jaguars, where, where the Sunwolves are <clears throat> from. You know, it's, it's, it, it it's almost loses its relevance to some people at a, at a certain level. I mean... Do we, do we need to focus it closer to home, New Zealand, Pacific Island, Australia, and, ha- and, have a, and have a competition around that? Because that's what we care about. We don't care about, really care about the storms.
0: Yeah, look, i mean, quite frankly, I agree with you, right? I, my preference would be to have a competition all based in the same time zone. Australian teams, New Zealand teams, maybe a couple of Asian teams. Um because frankly sport is at its best when it's watched live. Um and it's at its best when you can get home and away games week in, week out. And so the same time zone would suit that. Um on the other hand, we don't, you know, we, we have to work in the reality of our partnership at a Sansa level. And so South Africa, Argentina and New Zealand are all partners. And we need to align everybody's interests. So um I would love to head towards a model that is an Australasian type competition. And, I, and you know, one day we might get there, but at the moment Um, the Sanzar partnership still wants to see a competition that spans the Southern Hemisphere.
1: So would it be possible to ditch that, ditch Sanzar, ditch Super Rugby for another
0: one? Yeah, look, it's certainly possible. Anything's possible. But you've got to appreciate the financial realities of the game, right? So Australian Rugby Union will do about $130 of revenue this year. About half of it comes from from broadcasting. Uh, And of that broadcasting component, about half of it comes from Super Rugby. If you were to simply walk away from Sansa and Super Rugby, you need to find alternate revenue to fill that void in order to sustain the game at the level that we have. One of the great challenges of our game is actually the success success of rugby internationally. Um, Magnificent rugby competitions in England and France and Japan have an incredible financial capacity to buy our players. So we need to optimise our revenue to make sure that our best players are playing in Australia. So just ditching Super Rugby would be a very, very difficult financial proposition.
2: Hmm. So yes, uh, a really interesting uh, interview there uh, from Bill. Uh, the last question you asked, particularly uh, around the idea of ditching Sanzar, and obviously all the uh, it is a valid point that Bill brings up by saying, yes, of course, you know, it's it's easy to say let's leave Sanzar, but um, where else is the money going to come from? Um, what do you uh, mm. do? You do you agree with, for instance, his ideas of say a trans Tasman tournament or? That yeah,
1: I mean that part, that part really surprised me um, to hear him say about, about a comp based in the same time zone.
2: Because mm. I mean he hits
1: the nail on the head when he says it's it's best watched live, and I mean that's where the the perfect um, idea of of playing in the same time zone would work, and it's you know. I mean, not I've got nothing against South Africa and the Sunwolves and Haguares, but I mean, I really don't stay up to watch those games. I'd much prefer to watch the Kiwis or you know bring in a Pacific Island team. You know, those 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 boys are built for rugby. To, to hear Bill Pulver, the, the, the words coming out of his mouth, that you know he, he'd like to see a comp based in the same time zone and. Um, you know drag me in New Zealand and pacific island I mean that makes a lot of sense to me i mean we we in this country and New Zealand are the same. we have a lot of pacific island based players, so why not why not give them a team uh, but you know he, he makes a very good point that you know roughly sixty five million dollars that the a u makes comes from super rugby, so it's really not a competition that you can just dismiss because you know that's that's where a lot of our um, bread comes from.
2: Mm. Well, I definitely kind of agree with you, just with how candid Bill was to you about advocating for like a, a one, like that just takes place over one time zone. Um, I think obviously, uh, you know, when you look at obviously the main competitors in Australia, for instance, you know, the NRL, the AFL, that are kind of spread out not over, not remotely as far as, as Super Rugby, you kind of see that there actually is a potential financial advantage of having those kind of one-off, like the being in one time zone and being like allowing people to, you know, you don't have to wake up at two a.m. in the morning to watch a game in South Africa, because exactly. most people won't be, um, you know, interested in that. And I kind of we had uh, had Jeff Stook on the on the podcast um, a few weeks back, and definitely kind of recognised. You know, when he was when he was on, obviously this was just after the force had been cut, and while he was very uh, frustrated about that, he did kind of recognise that a lot of things that that, that Bill brought to the table w- did make a lot of financial sense.
1: Hmm. I mean, yeah, Bill Bill mentioned it then. I mean, that would, this was shortly after the force was cut, but uh, you know, I. Australia with, with cutting by cutting one team, I mean, we probably will be able to have a bit more depth in, in, in other teams. Whether that's whether that's for the better um, is is yet to be seen. But um, it would definitely make financial sense. Um, maybe uh, down the down the path, we'll will expand that out, and if we'll have a Trans Tasman thing, and the force will be back. That's probably what everyone's hoping for.
2: Mm. Um, yeah, well, obviously, it does obviously come down and, uh, to like, goes back to that announcement of the axing of the force, and, I mean, me personally, I'd always advocated for the force to stay, because, I mean, it, since we'd had five teams since 2011, the Reds had won it, the Brumbies had made the final, the force had had, you know, their best ever season, and of course, the Waratahs won it in, in 2014. But, um, I mean, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> money's what it talks, but, I don't know. In my in my own opinion, obviously it's a it's obvious. You know, the end of the day, obviously that's it's just one opinion. But you can't shrink your way to success, particularly when you know you have um, clubs like the Force, you know, starting to produce to produce players. But hey, maybe if there was, for instance, as as Bill mentions, a potential for the Australasian tournament in the future, the Force may be back. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of love for the game over there, and that should probably be nurtured so mm. a, a trans tasman competition would definitely help out there
2: yeah, absolutely so yeah, kind of continuing on to because uh, you're obviously straight leading straight on from super Rugby. you talked to Bill about um, club rugby, and kind of more specifically in the in the documentary you mentioned the revival. Of club rugby now, and this was obviously just before the Shoot Shield uh, semi-finals, and also I think it was there was a couple of other I think it was the the Qu- Queensland Premier Finals, the WA Finals, and Victorian Finals. You did kind of cover club rugby a decent amount in the documentary, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, a club rugby is a, it's, a, it's a very important part to well. All parts of rugby in Australia, I mean the, the professional realm a, a lot of those guys came up through the through club rugby, and I just think it was important to say how much it means to the game, and you know in some respects, maybe it hasn 't been given the i guess the assistance that that it probably deserves and, and recognition um, it's just a part, another part of the game that you know m- many critics of, I guess, the current A I U uh, really say that it, it's kind of been neglected, um, and and that's what I found out when I when I was doing the documentary. A lot of people were feeling like that, so it, so it, it I guess it, it made sense to go and cover that fairly well.
0: Hmm.
2: And I, I, I kind of find this obviously this count, the obviously when you mentioned having a right of reply, I really found. Uh, Bill's response to kind of talking about club rugby and obviously he focused more on the shoot shield but talking about club rugby in, in general very interesting so here's a snippet of, uh, of that section of the interview
1: So we're in the rebuild phase now, you, would you agree?
0: No, no we're not in rebuild um, actually the, at a community level the game's actually going really well I would tell you that, that club rugby um, premier rugby in almost every state has had a cracking year getting great game attendance, terrific rugby being played and a resurgence of of sort of fan engagement at that level. At the junior level of the game, um, this year we've grown 3.5% in participation rates. Some of the unique strategies we put in place with non-contact forms of the game in Viva Sevens and Game On in primary school, supported by government funding, have actually helped grow um, that level of the game. The women's side of the game, 25% 25% growth in women's 15s players and 33% growth in women's 7s players. So we're not rebuilding. We're actually trying to fix that professional echelon of, echelon of the game at a Super Rugby level.
1: Back onto Club Rugby, on, say Shoot Shield. They don't, they don't get any financial support from the AU. That's, that's right. So that's right. That competition now is pretty much competing with Super Rugby for, for, for crowds, for sponsors. How, how is that beneficial for the game of
0: rugby? Now that competition doesn't compete with Super Rugby at all. It doesn't you know, because actually that level of competition is doing very well. Right? You go in Sydney this weekend and watch the semifinals of Shoot Shield, you're gonna see great crowds, wonderful local support for that competition and, and good rugby being played. But but the sponsors that are supporting super rugby teams are are really quite different. Um, the AIU does not fund shoot shield clubs directly and frankly nor should it. Right. The Shoot Shield Shoo clubs are an affiliate of New South Wales Rugby Union, not an affiliate of the ARU. Um, and they perform superbly. Um, and that level of the competition, I'm actually very happy with it. And, and not, We take no credit for that. Um, the club presidents and the club management of all of those clubs are doing a terrific job.
1: But given they produce so many wallabies, mm-hmm. the some status 65% of professionals yep. from club rugby go into, you know, a come, come from club. Should there not be. a a, some form of, you know, um...
0: Financial dividend?
1: Well, not financial dividend, but something from the AIU to to show them how relevant they are. Because they're not feeling it.
0: What do you you think it should be?
1: It's It's whether it's helping to improve their competition, promote the competition, Something, something that makes them feel like they are part of the picture, because at the moment they don't feel like. Okay.
0: Well, well, why are you asking that question to the Australian Rugby Union when they're all affiliates of New South Wales Rugby Union? Because Queensland Rugby Union has nothing to do with those Shoot shield clubs, nor does Victorian Rugby Union. It's actually a question you should be putting to New South Wales Rugby Union, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah. But given 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 they uh, you know produce so many wallabies, you think that you would take a, a pretty interest
0: in in what they're doing and and I I do I've got a son that plays in the shoot shield I go to shoot shield games every weekend that I'm in Sydney I love the competition but I look I think the point you're making is should the AOU be funding shoot shield clubs or not and you because our support for that level of the game is absolutely clear I'll tell you that my board of directors and my employees watch a lot of shoot shield rugby The real issue that I think if you, if you get to the point is should we be funding them or not? And my own view is that that importantly is an amateur level of the game. Right? My personal concern about funding going direct from a governing body to a premier competition level, which is actually not an affiliate of ours, is that in some of those premier clubs that money has been used to play, to pay players and that is contrary to the best interests of an amateur competition. Now, we're not paying shoot shield clubs directly today, and yet the competition is performing superbly. And again, I don't take credit for that. I give credit to the club presidents and the teams that they've got, but they're doing a great job. They don't need funding at an amateur level of the game. Pretty
2: interesting response there from from Bill. I think kind of... what. Obviously, you were obviously doing that. What what did you think of his response in regards to the shoot shield? I mean, you know, I'm guessing obviously you're a, a big shoot shield fan, and a big kind of club rugby fan in general. Obviously, Bill was just focusing on the shoot shield there. But what was your thoughts on that response? Uh,
1: I mean, he kind of caught throwing some of that back onto me. Um, but, I mean, when I started doing the documentary, I didn't realise how little... That you had to do with club rugby and shoot shield, um, and given it produces so many wallabies, I thought they would maybe maybe uh, just throw it a, a bit more of a bone. But I mean, he makes a point about you know not giving money to the game um, to you know to keep it amateur, I guess, and and to, to retain that. But I mean, to, to hear him to hear him say that, that they look at it very. They look at it very closely, uh, and that's, that's something that him and his make up in the ARU HQ watch, and that's as far as it goes. You know, it, it has to be said that the rugby at that level, shoot, shield, and club level all over Australia is, is alive and is one of the only things that he's doing really quite well because of the people that love the game down at that level. It's, yeah. it's 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 not because they're getting any support from the A I U, um, at all. Besides playing player registration fees, which they don't see a whole lot, you know. Um, yeah. They don't they don't see a whole lot for that for that money. So they love it, but reluctant to um you know see, see it look like they see it, to see it grow.
2: Hmm. Well, I I kind of really. I kind of only really had one thought when I listened to that, which was, um, aren't we all playing the same game? It's obviously, I kind of always get a sense that there seems to be this, this clash of, of professional and, and amateur. And, and that's kind of the whole, that's what's perpetuated many people feeling like that in club rugby heartlands in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it, I mean, it's, I mean, for instance, like Bill mentions, he has a, a son who plays in club in, in the shoot shield. And, you know, if the, are uh, you are so interested, then I, I still find it interest. I mean, if, if, it, if he's talking a financial incentive and saying, oh, we won't give money because, because, you know, they don't need it or the, because they're an amateur club. I mean, obviously, cause I think the reason that they're doing quite well is because people are going back to what they love about rugby in the first place, which is, is that it's a thing to bring the community together.
1: Mm. And I think- De- definitely. And, yeah, I mean, if you, you go to a Shoot Shield game, I mean, I'm, I'm based in Sydney, so I go to Shoot Shield. You go to those games and there is, there is a, lot of, a lot of passion there. And it's a, and it's a different kind of passion to, to what we've seen in Super Rugby this year. I mean, Super Rugby has been great in past years.
2: And it may go back to what Bill mentions. He says that, um, and will, which we will cover a bit later with when he talks about the Wallabies, was that often performance drives, how, uh, performance drives the whole thing. If the Wallabies are winning, or if the Waratahs are winning, then people will come to games. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fact that the, Wall- that the Waratahs and all the, the Australian teams didn't perform just led to a lot of people going, well, there's no interest. In if there's no if, if a lack of interest in or investment in the games because we know they're not playing well.
1: Yeah, I well, I have heard him say that before, and you know, and and he's got, he's got a point. If you, if you're making a, an investment to go to a game, to go to the stadium, to pay for your ticket, you mm-hmm. want to go and watch a team that is that is going to win. So you know the fact that we haven't done that well in Super Rugby probably yeah has something to contribute to why maybe club rugby is kicking goals this year, but. There's also something going on in club rugby that, you know, there's a lot of heart and soul there, and and, and you go and watch one of those games and you realise why you fell in love with rugby in the first place.
2: Mm, that's right. Um, and I and I've noticed, like I've just noticed that all not just in in the shoot shield, but obviously all around the all around the country. I mean, um, you know, I saw the the stream of the of the premier grade in WA, and that was a cracking game, and they had a and. Uh, and people were really loving it. And obviously the the crowds out at Ballymore, when they had the final there, they got 10,000 in through the gates there. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that kind of it comes down to the investment and kind of why people actually follow rugby in the first place.
1: Mm. Yeah, for sure.
2: Mm. So kind of finally, the, the last part we want to kind of, that you talked to Bill about was really um, touching on, on the wallabies and, and grassroots and kind of the plans that, um, that the ARU have put in place uh, to to try and see the game grow, because obviously that was the point of the documentary, mm. um, like well, one of the parts in the Right of Reply. Um, so we'll just uh, play that section now.
1: Wallabies haven't won a Bledisloe in nearly 15 years. What's, what's the ARU been doing wrong here?
0: Um, well, it's... Possibly appropriate to applaud New Zealand, right, who I would describe over that 15 years as probably one of the standout sporting teams in the world, right? The performance of the All Blacks, um, who have basically been the number one team over that entire period. So um, if you're asking that question, it's what has the AOU been doing, doing wrong? What has South African rugby been doing wrong? What is English rugby? What is French rugby? Because they've been dominant worldwide. And in fairness, um, the team they've had in in sort of the last decade is up there with the very best sporting teams to have ever played sport. Um, that's not to say we haven't done some things wrong. I think we have. I don't think we we have aligned our high performance initiatives effectively. Um, to some extent, that's in part a governance challenge. That you've got a governing body at the national level that doesn't perhaps have the level of co- uh, corroboration, collaboration that it needs. Uh, at a state level. So we're actually working very carefully on that. We're, we're, there's a lot of thought and investment going into those high performance outcomes to deliver better results, but we acknowledge we have a lot to do.
1: Can you foresee Australian rugby being a dominant force again in the near future?
0: Yeah, look, I can, we, dominant force is a, is a strong description. We absolutely will be competitive. We're competitive already. I mean, we... we, we give ourselves a bit of a hard time, despite being number four in the men's game and gold medalists in in the women's sevens game. But we are going to get better. I'm very confident that a lot of the high-performance initiatives that we have in place are going to deliver better results.
1: Is it just high performance though? Is that going to deliver to the grassroots, and then...?
0: No, no that's the point I tried to make up front, if you really boil down the strategic issues of relevance for the game, there's two primary things you have to do. You have to win your elite games. You've got to have Wallabies, Wallaroos, men's, women's sevens winning because when they win, it has a magnetic effect on every part of the game from revenue and participation and fan engagement. The other really key measure, and arguably the best long-term measure, is the number of young boys and girls starting to play the game today. Um, And that's what your community investment is about. And that's why the issues we're facing in super rugby, we're just trying to get that balance right. We probably do need to spend more because we've got really successful competitors in AFL, rugby league and soccer. We need to spend more getting the hearts and minds of those young boys and girls into the game. And with 25% growth in women's 15s and and 33% growth in women's 7s, we're doing some good things. And actually, when you get more women playing the game, that's going to lead to more young boys playing the game too. So I think we've got some good strategies in place. OK,
1: good to go. Uh, Many people in the regional areas feel a lack of connection with the game. Uh, It's not pushed in school. Many of them don't have pay TV. So how are they meant to nurture a love for this sport and keep people interested when
0: it's pretty much invisible? Yeah, look, it's a really relevant question because 50% of the playing population in New South Wales and Queensland are in the country. So it's a really important rugby heartland. A few things that we've, we've tried to do. One is your point about schools is very important. We're getting back into the public schools again at the, at the primary school age to try and get kids engaged with the game, that's an initiative called Game On. Um, Young mums and dads are concerned about the physicality of the game, so we're offering Viva 7 so they can transition into the game in a non-contact form. At the elite level, most importantly, National Rugby Championship, very important to have a New South Wales country team and a Queensland country team. And they're playing in Wagga, Orange, Tamworth, um, all around the country areas, engaging in the community. The Wallabies, in the last couple of weeks, have been out to Cessnock, been to Newcastle, been to Penrith. So we attempt to engage with the country areas as much as we can. It's always challenging.
1: With the money that you've saved from, you know, cutting the force and and, and shuffling things around, are we going to be better suited to, to put rugby back into schools?
0: Yeah, we are. I mean, there's
1: Game On, there's, there's things like that already in place, but how are we, else are we going to get rugby back? Yeah,
0: look, getting rugby back into schools is one of the most important strategic issues we have to deal with. Thankfully, the federal government's also acknowledged that because this is actually a long-term trend in kids playing less team sport. So the federal government set aside $100 million for that. We use some of that money with Game On. And Game On, basically a public school in Molong, can tick the box and say, we want our kids to have a six-week... Um, after-school rugby program and then we will, we will put in our uh, team of people to go and run that for them and that gives those young kids a taste of rugby. That um, ARU or New South Wales Rugby Union employee will then try and get that young kid to go and join the local junior rugby club and they can join in a non-contact form so it's not too physical and then hopefully they evolve into the contact form and love the game for life.
2: So uh, a couple of interesting plans that Bill has got going there. Um, Obviously, kind of, I, I, I find this the, the piece that when he talks about the need for collaboration at state level, would you say uh, would you say he's correct? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's a. It, it's clear that um, you know the Wallabies, the connection between them and and Super Rugby has been kind of fractured for for a little while, and and we're seeing the results of that. Um, the fact that Bill. Admits that and says that needs to improve is definitely a, a step in the in the right direction. Um, given that you know, it seems like well that you know Kiwis have been doing that for bloody ages. I'm sure um, South Africa are on a on along a similar vein. Um, so to admit that, you know, if uh, admission is the first step to recovery, then hopefully uh, we're on the up from here.
2: Mm, absolutely, I think that what you kind of mentioned there ties. Interestingly, into into Bill's comment that uh, that maybe the reason for success the, the, of New Zealand of kind of New Zealand's success isn't necessarily due to the I mean obviously the, their team is awesome, but maybe it's also the fact that maybe what Australian rugby is doing isn't isn't right. They haven't done themselves any favors. Mm.
1: No, I mean we we're probably probably haven't done ourselves any favours. And New Zealand are bloody good. I mean, they are the best team in the world and they are our benchmark.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so I guess, you know, getting that connection between, you know, the Wallabies down to Super Rugby and maybe Rod Capers is he, the man that's been brought in to do that. Yeah. Um, whether that pays dividends, we'll, we'll find out. But, you know, an admission that that needs to happen is pretty good. I think
2: mm, yeah in your opinion from from the people you talked to doing this documentary, would you say that Bill's ideas of strat- like strategies um you know to kind of encourage people to to play the game are working or have the potential to work is do you think that obviously the of the strategies he presented that the governing bodies the RU's plan will actually go anywhere in the future? And we may see a turnaround in people in in numbers of people playing rugby
1: hm mm, i mean I think as I said before I mean admission is the first step to recovery and i and I think he, to his credit bill didn't shy away from anything in this interview and he's admitted that in times yeah you know maybe they haven't done the gone down the right path and they're trying to rectify that but it's really it's it's a long game to play to to, to cut a team and say that now that money is going back to the grassroots and it's going to fix these problems here you know that 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 will remain to be seen but you know one of these things of getting getting rugby back into into schools and recognizing that i mean that is i think that is a is a very bloody big thing because the the lack of it in public schools is you know pretty worrying and and it used to be known as this Private school sport, but when in reality, 20, what's almost half, half of the current Wallaby squad are from public schools. So if you haven't got public schools playing rugby, no. well, you know, there's a massive chunk of potential players that are going to AFL or league. Mm. So, I mean, by him bringing in, in strategies like that, and, and if he's going to follow through on his words, or his, people after him are going to follow through on his, those words, great. And And, and I reckon that would, would have an impact. But you know, if it's all hot air, yeah. Mm, That's right.
2: If, you know, if it is like you say, if it is hot air, then it may prove damaging. But if it does lead, I mean, at least obviously, as you say, admission is a a positive step. And if they can, uh, if these, these projects do do something, then that would, that would be, that'll be fantastic. So yeah, that kind of comes to the end of our, of our bonus podcast. So Hopefully, you know it'll, for all our for all our listeners and for everyone out there, it'll provide us with a little bit more food for thought in regards to the ARU and obviously the whole rugby situation with um, the whole rugby situation going on. Uh, before you go, um, Will, did you uh, enjoy the Wallaby match in New Zealand? Do you reckon it might be a, a sign of a turnaround?
1: Oh, it was great. It was yeah. fantastic. Awesome. It was fantastic to see. You know, a bit of fire in their belly. Uh, you know, that tr- that last try by Bill when he had a bit of claret coming down his face, oh, it was marvellous. Yeah. just sh- some, Showed some real ticker and some real mumble and I, and I really hope, I really hope that this year is the lowest year that we've had for a long time. And I hope it's the lowest year we'll have for a, for a very long time. I hope this is the turnaround.
2: Yeah. A really I, cool. Absolutely. Well, you know, hopefully, to me, I think it's the only way it's up. And I hope that it does go there. Well, thank you for your time and for and for sharing the interview uh, with us. And uh, big thanks to for the for your work in doing the documentary for for Vice um, No was, worries. Uh, great, it was great to have you on.
1: No worries. Hopefully, I'll get the feed to do another rugby story sometime soon. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's yeah. All, always good to have rugby in the uh, in the public eye. And thanks to uh, <laughs> to all our listeners. Um, I hope you enjoyed this kind of special bonus edition of the podcast. Uh, a little different from. Uh, usual uh, from what we usually do, but, you know, um, if it's there, we'll talk about it. So uh, I'll be back in the producer's chair next week for the Green and Gold Rugby Show uh, with the lads coming back. Uh, But thanks for listening, and uh, bye for now.
0: Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from
2: Larkham. Up it goes! Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.